Uh, we have a lot of singing and things like that. So if you're visiting with us, it's good to have you. Uh, if, you know, if you're coming back after the summertime, it's great to have you back as well. Um, so I got some really good news this week um, through my Fitbit. I got my New Zealand badge. Now, you might ask what that is. My New Zealand badge, by the way, means that I've walked the length of New Zealand, okay, because of Fitbit. You know, they've taken all the kilometers that I've, I've gone, I've walked the length of New Zealand. So I'm proud, and that is good news, that I've got my New Zealand badge. But I've got even better news for you. John says to us in chapter 13, that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And this is the full extent of his love. His giving self-sacrificially for every one of us so that we could have a relationship with God and that we would live forever and have his Holy Spirit well with us. Folks, we have much to give thanks for. We have much to sing about. So let's praise our God as we begin our service. All creatures of our God and King, and Lord, you have my heart. Let's stand and praise God. Well, let's continue in that spirit of worship, and let's talk to God together in prayer. Father, we thank you for that lovely little phrase that we've just been singing, that love came down. And uh, Father, we thank you that when we just pause to reflect upon that, that we realize that it's speaking of the Lord Jesus, and that he left the glory of heaven, and that he came down to be with us, that he was humble enough to come and dwell in the womb of a young girl and to be born into a unknown small town and to live there and to work there before he began his ministry. Father, we thank you for the humility of our Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the love that motivated him to do that in consultation with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Father, how their focus has always been on Adelaide Road. Their focus has always been on the church of Jesus Christ. Their focus has always been on you and on me. And Father, just to think about the reality of that and how he did that for us is incredible. Because Father, we know what our hearts are like. We know how angry we get we know how frustrated we are. We know, Father, how proud we are. We know, Father, how we live with the difficulties of broken relationships and how we live with the difficulties of life that just doesn't seem to work out. And, Father, with all the frustrations of having to deal with car insurance and broken lawnmowers and things that just don't seem to work. And Father, we need you. We need you to forgive us because we cannot come to you because of our sin. 
we cannot come to you because we are opposed to you and to your rule. And Father, I pray that as we meet with you this morning, that we will be overwhelmed with the love that came down, with the desire in your heart for relationship and for the cost of your shed blood for us. And Father, I pray that we will just rejoice in the forgiveness of our sins, that we will rejoice in the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that, Father, that we will be done with a lack of commitment and a mediocrity and a thing, and just saying to ourselves, I will run my own life in the way that I want. And that, Father, that you will bring us into the very heart of Jesus afresh. So, Father, it's an interesting date as well. It's the first of September. It's the beginning of an autumn season. It's the beginning of a new month. It's the beginning of a new week. And, Father, I pray that it will be the beginning of something new and fresh in each of our lives. And that, Father, that we will be a, bo a beacon of, of light, that we will be tasty, that we will be bright, that we will be smelly in a good way. And that, Father, that we will shine with the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we come in a solemn moment, but we come, Father, delighted to come. Because we are creatures of our God and King. And, Father, we say afresh that you have my heart. And so I pray that we will indeed serve you and that we will know you in this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if you have your Bibles, uh, do open them at John chapter 4. It's quite a long reading, but it's a story, so hopefully um, you will we'll know it anyway. I think it's page 1066 or 67 in your Bibles. Have you got it there? 67. 1067. So, boys and girls, I know that you may not be able to follow it wholeheartedly, but, or, or follow it in the way, if you can, that's good. So, I want you to remember the name of the town that the woman came from. I want you to remember the number of husbands that she had. And I want you to remember what Jesus offered her as I read this. So you keep that in mind as I read, and uh, we're going to be looking at this story a bit later on, the woman at the well. So John chapter 4, and this is God's word. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour, that's twelve o'clock midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what, what do you want and why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, even now the harvest, the, he, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of, your, of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told, them everything I, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Amen. And we do thank God for his word. 
So what was the name of the town? Not Samaria, that's the name of the country. Sychar or Sychar, very good. How many husbands had the woman? Five. Isn't that amazing? Five husbands. Mm. We'll have to talk to the mums and dads about that later. And what did Jesus offer her? Allegra. Okay, eternal life, but how, what was the thing that he actually... But you're right, yes. How was that symbolized? Living water, yes. Brilliant. You listened really well. Isn't that a long reading? But there you go. So we're going to look at that a bit later on. But at this point in time, um, and I've just seen I've forgotten to say the Lord's Prayer, but maybe we could do that later. Um, I'm going to commission the, L, the leaders of Sunday Special and K2. So I don't want us to forget what we learned last week. We are to be tasty. We are to be bright. And we are to be smelly in a good way. We are. Okay, so we're to be tasty, we're to be bright, and we're to be smelly in a good way. And so we will commission our Sunday special and K2 leaders with prayer. That means that we kind of pray for them, set them apart, want them to do this job well, and ask God's blessing upon them. Because, boys and girls, we want you to know how important it is that you believe in Jesus. In the Bible, whenever Timothy was being commissioned to be a minister in the church in Ephesus, Paul said that he had a grandmother called Lois and a mother called Eunice, and that he learned his faith through them. And then Paul came and told him something as well. So you have mums and dads, and if you are baptized, then those, your mums and dads have promised us and God that they will teach you the things of Jesus. And that is so important that you listen carefully to them in the home and to all that they want to tell you about Jesus. And the second way that you hear, or another way that you hear, not just the second way, is when you come to church. Because we're a family. And we want to teach you as part of the family. And that's what we do. And I was thinking about Jesus. Do you know what Jesus called the church? He called it his father's house. And he loved to be there. So much so that he chose not to go with his mom and dad, but to stay in the church. Now, I'm not advocating that, okay? In that sense. But did you see the importance of being in church? Wow. And we want to be faithful too in teaching you about the Lord Jesus. And here's a bit of wisdom from you, for you from the Bible, from Proverbs. I've been reading Proverbs on a Sunday, and this is what it said. I read this last week. Train a child in the way they should go, and when old, they will not turn from it. So what you learn now is like a foundation. It's like something that you build on that will last well when you get as old as me a long time later. So the work that we do with our children, obviously, folks, is important. And we value greatly 
the contribution made by our Sunday special and K2 teachers, by those who serve in creche, and by those who serve in SALT Project. And so this morning, I do want to commission this group of people, but I do want you to know that you are commissioned as well to be tasty and bright and smelly in a good way. And so I'm going to ask the the leaders of our Sunday special and K2 to stand. So I've got Carl Spear, Katie Burke, Richard Zipser, Ray Spear, Susan Labuschagne, Lorraine Zipser, Marlies Castleman, Aaron Spear, Rachel Sonny, Claudio Castro, Aaron Labuschagne, Joan Ryan, Heather Strong. Assistants Mark Spear, Jane Lanou, Caitlin Nichols, Mateus Castro, Haley McGrath, and Stephanie Boyd. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our families, for the love and support we receive from our parents and from our church family. In your family, we value our children as a precious gift from you. And like Jesus, we want them to grow physically and in knowledge of you. It is our deep desire that they would come to believe in you as their Lord and Savior, following you wherever they go in school and where they live and play. And we ask you to bless the work and the lives of the leaders involved in our creche, Sunday Special K2 and SALT Project. Father, encourage and equip them to live lives of faithful integrity, to be close to you, to work diligently in preparation of their Bible lessons, and to have all the help and resources that they need to teach well about you. Help them in the practicalities of being in class, of discipline, and of delivery of their lessons. And Heavenly Father, we commit to support them, and may we show our interest in the work and our commitment by praying regularly for them. Therefore, in your name, we commission them for this task, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're going to sing a song, and I thought we would sing the one that we sang last week, uh, because it really is a great song. It's about ready to go, not just to Sunday special in K2, but ready to go into the world. Uh, so did, did you all, I should ask, how was school? Was it good? New classes, new teachers? All went well. That is great. Anybody start school for the first time this week? Over here? First time in school. All went well. Obviously oblivious to it all. That's great. So let's stand and let's worship God in this. Great. Well, you're singing that really well. Um, might sing it again next week and we'll try and do some action. So Um, I see some people were doing actions, so I'll commission you to do actions for next week, and you can work that out and see how we get on. So uh, all those going to Sunday Special in K2 are ready to leave now. That's great. Well, folks, just as the folks are leaving, you've got your order of service there. Um, 
just to say that next Sunday we're going to be looking at John chapter 13. Um, I've changed what I was going to do. I was going to preach 1 Corinthians and finish it off, but uh, I sense that we maybe want to look at, or I sense that God is saying that we should look at John 13. Uh, Jesus is leaving, um, and he realizes that he, he needs his disciples to know how to live. And uh, basically, he's saying we've got to love one another and love the world in the right way. And so we'll be looking at that 13 through to 17, and that takes us up to Christmas. Um, I'm still working on the Advent series. Um, David has been helping me with that, and uh, we will hopefully have uh, all the things in place for next week. I've asked Andrew Gill, who's the new minister in Black Rock and Bray, uh, to take our harvest and he's agreed to that on the 13th of October. And uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, uh, we're going to have a speaker from China. His name is Bob Fu, and he's going to come. <clears throat> he's the speaker at the Church and Chains Conference, and he's agreed to come and speak in Adelaide Road. And I've asked Guy uh, as well to come back and uh, tell us what he's doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's plenty happening and uh, looking forward to that. So do pray as we go into that new series. If you've come burdened and you would like to be prayed for, well then, please join the prayers here at the front. Sunday special meets uh, meeting uh, not this Monday, but next Monday. Um, uh, we're having presbytery, by the way, and I am going, Karen's coming with me, because we're going to Galway for pres presbytery. Isn't that exciting? Uh, believe it or not, Karen has never been in Galway. Um, um, and I have, but uh, uh, looking forward to that. So we're spending a couple of days down there, and uh, that's because the Minister of Galway, Helen Freeburn, is the moderator of Presbytery, and that's where we start. Advance notice of living well. Uh, Heather and Alan are always so organized. So Saturday the 16th of November, okay, put that in your diaries. Uh, here in the church, I think, isn't that right? Here in the church, yeah. Um, so uh, Bishop uh, Clark... Uh, Fanta Clark is coming to speak at Living Well at any age. And as you see, that's open to all the congregation. Yeah, if you're interested in evangelism and meeting people from all over Ireland, uh, then the National Plowing Champions are a fantastic opportunity to witness for Jesus. And uh, we do have a stand. The Presbyterian Church now takes a stand at the plowing match. Um, and... Uh, just opportunities for uh, children's work, I think, and just teas and coffees and meeting people and distributing literature. And you can phone that number. Uh, that guy's name is William Workman, and uh, he is an Irish mission worker like David, and he lives near that area. So just lift the phone and talk to him if you want to go. And yes, if you want a copy of the sermon, you can do it in the normal way uh, by subscribing to the Google Groups there. So those are all the announcements. Uh, if you have your Bible there, let's open it and we'll look at this together. <clears throat> so really this is based on our summer series. I'm going to do this as a sermon. Um, I do have some PowerPoints, I think. Is it there? Yeah. Okay, a conversation. We'll go on to the next one with the woman at the well, okay? So all of us, of course, have a deep need for relationship, for love, 
and for permanence and security. And I believe that today's reading and today's scripture is an important part of God's answer to the present sad reality of the broken relationships that all of us face within the church and without. The prospect of a relationship between a Samaritan woman and Jesus, a Jew and a male, were bleak indeed, something the woman herself recognized. If you look at verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan. So they were divided in terms of their sort of nationality and their identity. And you're a man and I'm a woman. How can you ask for a drink? Sadly, of course, the Samaritans had broken away from Jerusalem and they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. They had distanced themselves from the temple and they had set up their own altar. And sadly, they had aligned themselves with religious groups found in that part of Palestine. And therefore, in the eyes of the Jews, they were enemies and in error and the Jews did not associate with them. The Samaritan woman, whose name we don't know, has tried to navigate her life, therefore, without God. And she's looked to relationships to fill, in a sense, that void. And she's had various husbands. And sadly, it appears that she's still lonely and unaccepted because she's on her own, and it's midday, and it's not necessarily the time for collecting water. It also appears that Jesus is on a journey he didn't particularly want to be making. Opposition forced him to leave Judea, and taking the shortest route took him through Samaria, which, as we would say, was enemy territory. You see that in verses 1 to 4. He's been walking. It's midday. He's tired. He's hot. He's thirsty. And he sits by a well, a well, as you read, that had significant salvation history. And he is aware of the problem that he hasn't any way of getting water. And so he risks something, doesn't he? Relationship breaks the silence. Been intrigued by that little title, isn't it? Relationship breaks the silence. When relationships are broken, we don't talk. When we desire relationship, we talk. And I want us to ponder that heading alongside this story. The reason that Jesus speaks to her is not just because he wants a drink of water, though he did need that drink of water. He wants a relationship with her. He cares about the woman and so he says in verse 7, will you give me a drink? Now, I put up the picture of the boat here, John Ortborg's book. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Because someone borrowed that book of mine last week, and it was in my head. And I've written it down so that that person will give me it back again. <laughs> because it's based on Peter's attempt at faith, isn't it? If you want to do something of faith, you have to get out of the boat. If you want to make a relationship, you have to speak. And this is important because it's taken 700 years, and the Jews and the Samaritans have never spoken. 
And at breaking the silence, Jesus is hinting at relationship. He is beginning to find his way with her, the spiritual outsider. And actually, when you read this conversation, it's not very comfortable. Past hurts abound. Jesus appears to be abrupt. Actually, the NIV, as it tends to do, softens it in verse 7. Will you give me a drink? Literally, the word is, give me a drink. And, and all of those kind of difficulties in that. He appears, doesn't he, uh, to be patronizing. There's the distance of gender and religion. It's huge. And it appears, if you read verses 11 and 12, that she thinks this is just another Jewish religious man thinking how great he is. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Where are you going to get this water? And if we can put ourselves in her shoes, would she not think that Jesus is looking down on her? And sadly, that is the view that many people have of us as Christians. Distant, superior, looking down at them and hurt by their attitudes. And folks, if we truly desire relationships with each other and with people out there, we need to break the silence. We need to desire to speak to them and to want to get to know them, regardless of who they are and of what they've done. Amazing. My second point is hopes for renewed relationship, for relationship renewed. I was reminded of this. You can see that I'm getting all these Spotify ideas here, but um, U2's memorable song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's an anthem, isn't it? It resonated with people. I've spoken on this in an RTE service. I've used it in sermon illustrations. And I re-listened to it this week again. So what does it say? I've scaled city walls. I've kissed sunny, honey lips. I've spoken with the tongue of angels. I believe in the kingdom come, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I want to say that similarly, the Samaritan woman had five husbands. She had sought for what she looked for in relationships. She's even in a relationship now. But somehow she's saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And wonderfully, Jesus knows it, and he doesn't offer her anything within the world at all. In verses 13 and 14, he offers her supernatural water. Water that when you drink it, you will never thirst again. Water that when you drink it just keeps bubbling up. Water that satisfies and gives eternal life. Because Jesus knows, and I say this pointedly, that everything in this world does not truly satisfy. Everything. And the woman in verse 15 says, Lord, look, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She admits that she has this longing, 
and at the same time she tells us that she's trapped in this endless cycle of having to come and get water day after day after day. And if we keep the focus on relationships, as David Helm says in his little book, the real water of life's relational frustrations must be drawn every day. So Jesus presses on and he speaks personally to her situation. He does not shame her, though she undoubtedly felt shame. His desire or his food, as he speaks about later on, metaphorically speaking, was for her to salvation. And how does he do that? He calls her to acknowledge her lovers. And the question is, will she acknowledge them? Will she acknowledge her failures? Will she take responsibility? He has proven that he already knows her intimately. He has offered her a supernatural solution, and wonderfully he has exposed her feeling, but he has also opened again a longing, and she knows that she still hasn't found what she's looking for. And I was intrigued, by the way, with the, the lads here. Some of you may not know that I actually got to meet the band um, because I, I was involved in the funeral of the Edge's mother. I actually buried her because she was a member of a Presbyterian church here in Dublin. And I was talking to them, and I got to know them a little bit better. But this is what they go on in that song to say. You broke the bonds, and you loosened the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, but... I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I'm thinking all week, how can they say that? How can they say that they know Jesus because of their background and their knowledge and their involvement in Christian fellowships leads me to believe, and I think they've testified to the fact that they believe in Jesus and the cross, and yet it still hasn't satisfied them if they're being true to their words. And it's the same for this woman, isn't it? She's met Jesus. He's offered her this everlasting water. And all that she can see is that he's a prophet. And she's processing Jesus and his offer. And what will she do? She's afraid, isn't she? Will Jesus condemn her? Will she bring her lover to meet Jesus? Will he be able to give what he promises? Will he provide her with a relationship that satisfies and wells up to eternal life? It's a huge moment. One of the things that a crisis and difficulty brings is a reevaluation of life. And I want to say to us, folks, how many of you who come to this church week after week know Jesus? personally. How many of you are prepared to talk to him about the things that are in your heart? How many of you are prepared to open up your lives and admit your sin and your many lovers? Because each week you will grow in knowledge of him because you're here. 
but have you placed your faith in him? And folks, sadly, if we don't, we will return each week to the hard grind of the world and working it out in our own strength. And what of us who say that we believe? Have we found what we're looking for? Does our life demonstrate that? Or are you just going through the routine? Is it true that God has spoken to you this week? Have you even made an attempt to read his Bible, his word? What is your prayer life work? Are you speaking to him personally? Is he speaking back? Or is it just a burden and a chore? Where is this spring of water welling up to eternal life? Is it all just deeply unsatisfactory? You see, in our meetings with Jesus, our feelings are exposed as our, as our longings. And folks, it is my prayer, sincerely held, that many of us will long for a true and a deeper relationship with Jesus. Taking the view that Jesus, the woman is seeking Jesus, we can read her questions as searching rather than avoiding. And sometimes we preach this as avoiding, though often in exposure to Jesus, of Jesus' close approach, we fear and we shy away. So let's look again what a fresh, what a new relationship with Jesus might look like, what it entails. So a relationship with God and place. I put Adelaide Road up here. It could be any place. Because the woman firstly speaks of place. You see that, I think, there in um, yeah, 1920. Our fathers worshipped this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The mountain she refers to, by the way, is Gerizim. The mountain that Jesus and uh, and the Jews believed was the place to worship, of course, was Jerusalem in one sense. That's a good question, isn't it? Where are you to go if you're to reconnect with God? In Irish spirituality, of course, place is important, and the idea of sacred space is particularly important. But it seems as if she's saying, in effect, shall I transfer my faith from relationships to a place? And can you tell me which one to go to? Can you tell me a church? Can you tell me a sacred space? Can you point me on a pilgrimage? Maybe it's just a space in my heart. And Jesus says, by the way, in verse 21, that that's not the answer. Places are not what establish a relationship with Jesus. Not this place not any other place. It's essential to know that, by the way, folks, because this is a flawed church. The people within it are flawed. The minister is flawed. But the reality is that we find our relationship not in the place, but in Jesus. We are, of course, by moderns, by standards of churches, a new and modern sacred space. But I say again, the place isn't important. 
Secondly, we are to have a relationship with God, of course, through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He says that we, he speaks of the Spirit. That's totally right, of course, because God is Spirit. And the Father wants Spirit worshippers. However, in contrast, we want to be doing, don't we? Jesus wants Spirit. We want action. We want to be reading. We want to be serving. We want to be singing. We want to be practicing our faith. We want to turn over a new leaf and try to be better. And again, the Bible tells us it will not work if it isn't of the Spirit. It has to be God-given. It has to come from Him. And so if we want a fresh work of God in our lives and in ARPC, then we need to ask God for it. We need to begin to pray. We need to humble ourselves and ask that he would answer our prayers and fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. And if we want a relationship with God, then we've got to have the truth. Folks, our relationship to God must conform to that which is true. I was intrigued this week, by the way, just to kind of break it up a bit, by Greta Thunberg. You know this girl who is the advocate for um, taking on the, the, the powers that be about climate change? I was intrigued because this is what she said. I'm kind of paraphrasing. She called on all the world leaders, and one in particular, to heed the truth of climate change. She said, don't believe me. Believe the science. Believe the facts. And to ignore the truth of climate change, we think, is foolish. And I say this to you folks that, I mean, this whole idea of truth is a hotly disputed topic. We live in a time, as I've said many times before, that the truth is thought to be relative and based on our interpretation. That we think that sincerity trumps truth and that intense spiritual interest is enough. And Jesus says, no, it is not. He says, the Bible is the truth. I am the truth. And when the idea of truth weakens, then we begin to believe that God accepts people without discrimination and that no one has a monopoly on the truth. And both are not true because the Word of God says so. You see, Jesus would have us think differently. Jesus wishes for a relationship with us, but it must be in the truth. And Jesus is that truth. And so worship and our relationship with Jesus depend on living under the truthful word of Jesus. Are we ready to be changed by Jesus? Then we must listen to his word. And that can be a scary thing. And lastly, our relationship with God is through Jesus. What I loved about this, folks, was the honesty of the encounter. The woman's response, by the way, isn't exactly what you would have expected, isn't it? She doesn't actually get it. If you look at verse 24, then into 25, she says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I know you're a prophet. I know you're saying something, but I actually don't really understand it. 
You might be a good prophet, but you're not very good at explaining this stuff. That's what she's saying. Fascinating, isn't it? Jesus doesn't get annoyed, of course, because she says something very important. She says, when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. It's not a great deal of faith, isn't it? But it's enough for Jesus because God will come, she says. God will send his king. God will explain and sort everything out. He will fix the mess of my broken relationships. And I will wait for that Messiah. That's what she's saying. And in hearing this, Jesus reveals himself and says, I am the Messiah. I am the relationship you have been so badly seeking and so desperately need. And he is the relationship for which we and her have been looking. And it's just amazing, isn't it? It would be a party and if it were a play, Wonderfully, she began to believe him. She leaves her jar. She goes and gets her man. And she brings him to Jesus. And she spoke to the village. She testified to what Jesus had done for her. She changed as she trusted him. And others came and started talking with Jesus and said, Can I talk with you? And that's what happened. And they came to believe. There was a happy and a positive movement of the Holy Spirit and truth. It began to take hold of that village and take hold of that area, and it was changed. And folks, do we not long for that in our lives and our church and our city? If you and I still haven't found what we're looking for, then the story of the Samaritan woman tells us that Jesus is what we're looking for. And wonderfully, he has come down from heaven and he has found us in the table because he went to the cross to prove how much he loves us. And the Father seeks worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love this story because it's the gospel, because it's good news, because it's true. And Father, forgive us that we so often put so much store in the things of the world and that we, as we, the prophet, I think Jeremiah says, we look in broken cisterns for things that do not hold water while all the time in our Bibles, and in our church. And with each other, we have this relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you will humble us all today, and that you will help us to seek your face in relationship through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the person of Jesus. And that, Father, that we will be true worshipers. And that, Father, that you will fill us with this joy and with this peace, and with this love, for you and for each other. And we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Folks, I want us to sing this song when the music fades. I've told this story so many times, but I'm going to repeat it. That This was written by a fantastic music leader uh, or a Ken Mock type person. And you know what he said one day? He said, we're not doing any music for three to six months because you are coming to this building because you like the music. And you don't come to this building because you like the music or you like the people primarily. You come to this building because of this communion table. And that's what we're going to sing about. So when the music fades or stops and all is stripped away, I simply come longing just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart. And he seeks you, worshipers. And he does that through the truth of the gospel. So let's commit ourselves as we sing this again, when the music fades. Well, just prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, so, if the elders want to join me here, that's so the bread and the wine that slide out before us belongs to the church worldwide and is open to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and who are members of any branch of the church, and the Lord invites his disciples to come to him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And I think in light of what I was uh, been saying this morning in terms of John 13 and how Jesus showed the full extent of his faith, I just wanted to